As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, everybody working up. Everybody's working. With that time, Jersey. I don't know if this is the third or fourth or the seventh or eighth game of the year for the Kansas City Chiefs coming up this weekend, but it's another good one. It's another exciting one, and we'll have plenty of time to break that down, along with everything else here on this edition of Times Ours. I'm Joshua Briscoe with Nate Taylor and Seth Kaiser. The whole gang is here, and I don't know how long it's going to actually take for us to start talking about that game, guys, because Seth's done some new work. Uh, also, obviously, huge news throughout the NFL world with John Madden passing that I, I knew we, we needed to spend some time talking about that. And frankly, I wanted to spend some time talking about that uh, because every single person who is anywhere near the sport of football has their own John Madden experience in one of many different ways. So we'll, we'll cover a bunch of those things here today on this episode. How are you guys doing? How, how are you feeling, everybody? We got two weeks of regular season football left. Uh, if the Titans stumble, we only have one regular season, potentially uh, meaningful game left for the Chiefs. It's a, you know, what, two months ago, this team was <laughs> this team was on the outside looking in. What a time, huh? <laughs> what a time indeed. Uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's cold all of a sudden. Yeah. Which, mm. you know, isn't great. Yeah, Seth, it's brutal, man. We're, 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 we're back together all in the minus what, you know, freezing temperatures. It's, um, it's a fun. Seth, it's, th- it's 39 degrees in Kansas city right now. I can, I can see my breath indoors. The low tomorrow is negative 27. Oh, goodness. No! Oh, oh, goodness. No! Well, Temperatures don't go negative, right? Well, is that allowed? Um, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I guess I'm doing better now, uh, considering <laughs> the certain circumstances. Um, look, I, I, uh, I'm not there yet. It's only Thursday, right? Uh, you mm-hmm. try to, you try to, you try to level up as we get closer to Sunday. And boy, one of my thoughts, fellas, is the NFL really screwed up. They really really screwed up um remember when the league was like we need a night game on sunday ah put vic vangio and the broncos in it <laughs> and we all went no what, <laughs> what are you doing 
saying? Um, the Cincinnati Bengals haven't been on primetime a ton this year. Uh, I feel like they've earned that right. Yes, it's Aaron Rodgers. And yes, it's Kirk Cousins. It's the equivalent of Chiefs Broncos. Um, that's the Sunday night game this week. But mm-hmm. it should be it should be Chiefs Bengals. It's weird that this game is at like noon. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> on a Sunday <laughs> when it has massive implications as to how the rest of January uh, might be set up in terms of the playoffs. But I- I'm excited about the game. I just feel like the NFL screwed up by giving us Chiefs Broncos in prime time when that game was never close. Mm-hmm. And this one, this one could be really, really close. Mm-hmm. How does it make you feel, Seth? It makes me feel like I I like primetime games. But I also am happy that I'll have time to, like, you know, live after the game. Yeah, uh, me too, man. <laughs> post-game, post-game someone, radio. Yeah, someone who yeah. does a post-game yeah. show. <laughs> You're telling me, uh, you know, liquid eyes Charlie at 2 a.m. Is, <laughs> is it what you want? Yeah, it's and tough. That's, that's it's a good tough. point. I suppose me, me complaining about not having time after the game is like you guys complaining about your 30-degree weather. That's, um, that's sort of yep, right, actually. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a good equivalent. <laughs> I, I'm excited about this game. I think it's really, really great and kind of unexpected when you looked at the schedule earlier this year. Like, you, the Bengals were okay-ish last... Well, not really. They weren't that good last year. They were interesting. Burrow being back made them interesting. Yeah. But you didn't really yeah. know where they'd be in week 17. But it wasn't expected to be like a, hey, this is a, gr- you know... This is a great primer for the playoffs against mm-hmm. a team that might very well win its division. And I really, one of my very favorite things, guys, is when a team comes in mm-hmm. to the week really hyped up by everyone after a big win. And yep. it's happened a couple weeks in a row now. Although the Steelers, no one really got hyped on the Steelers. They're like, yeah, they beat the Titans, who are currently showing us all that there's still more data we need to figure out about how running backs can matter with mm-hmm. this whole, the difference between them with and without Derrick Henry. But they don't matter if the other team's quarterbacked uh, by Jimmy Garoppolo. We do know that. <laughs> yeah, We've gotten yeah, that proven. It's just like, how does this happen? Like, it's, it's so confusing. Um, and let's be honest, it's probably more the schematic way teams play you than the running back themselves. But that's a whole other ball of wax we don't have time for. But people were like, oh, hey. We actually, Steelers. Seth, I hate to inform you. We are going to make time for that. You kind of wrote about that <laughs> a little kinda, bit this yeah, week. You so. Oh, yeah, I wrote about running backs. <laughs> yeah. Actually, anyway, um, but it, it's – so there was some hype, though. They'd come off a, a big win against the Titans the week before that. You know, the Chargers were coming in, and they were in Fuego. And now they're getting the Bengals coming off a big win over the, you know, 38th best players on the Ravens roster. And it's fun. It's fun, and I think that's a cool thing that we get kind of like a real playoff primer here and kind of get a chance for the Chiefs to, like, really take away any idea that they somehow, you know, backed into this one seed. If they they take Mm -hmm. it Sunday, they earned it. So I do I do want to make sure we spend plenty of time on that and what you guys have written about this week and everything. But um, I, I do want to also let us talk about John Madden a little bit in a way that I, I got to tell you, whenever the news came up on Twitter, it, it was sort of this might be an unnecessary trailing off. But like there aren't a whole lot of uh, celebrity deaths or whatever that you know people pop up and people have their various experiences. But most of the time, you know, it's a sad thing that doesn't really. It isn't terribly affecting to me most of the time because you don't really know these people and all of that. Um, but seeing it with John Madden was a genuine just sort of like 
Night Changer, where I, I immediately went and started listening to the 30 for 30 podcast about the development of the Madden video game. I just read Twitter and read people's stories mm-hmm. or um, takeaways from a genuinely unmatched football life. Um, and then I went and turned on my GameCube. You know what? I'm gonna just I'm gonna play some Madden tonight. I think that I think that's only only deserved here. It was it it wasn't what I ever would have expected to kind of feel out off of news like that. But it it really did um, it really did kind of thump me a little bit. And and then also seeing I mean everyone everyone on Twitter had some story or some takeaway about John Madden. I have a couple. Well, I'll see if you guys beat me to any of them, but. Do you guys have any any lasting thoughts and memories or, or takeaways from what have been these last few days of, of not only his passing, but then also the, the response to that over these last few days? Yeah, well, I, I just appreciate Fox um, because I, you know, I have a Christmas Day tradition, okay? It, it's, it's, it's having my, my child, my son, open up his presents. Uh, we go through that. It's such an exciting time. And then around 11 o'clock Central Eastern Time, like, it doesn't matter if the Knicks are good or awful. Like, we, we go we go to Madison Square Garden. And I, I, I watched basketball. I was out with my family. Um, and it was cool that, like, Fox, that was when they premiered the All Madden documentary as the lead-in to Packers-Browns, I believe. But I missed it just because it was Christmas and I was... I mean, I barely watched that game. Like, I, I remember watching Colts-Cardinals because that was the night game, and, and obviously it, um, the festivities have kind of died down. So I appreciated Fox. Um, on the day that John Madden died, being like, uh, yeah, the, we're going to we're gonna air it on, I think, uh, Fox Sports 1 at like 8 o'clock our time. And I was just like, yep, clear everything. I sat down and I watched it. It was marvelous. Um, it made me... Like, honestly, pretty emotional just because of what his son said about him and him being able to to watch it, not knowing the gravity of um, his life was going to come to an end so so quickly after this was produced, edited, and then obviously given to us as, as an audience. Um, and it just, all those, all that just made me think of my childhood. Um from a humor sense, it's like I was trying to explain to Holly. I didn't know what athlete's foot was until John Madden told me what it was with tough acting to active. Like I had, I had tough no acting to acting. I had, I will never forget that. I had no idea what what athlete's foot was because I was like yep. seven or whatever it was, yep. and, and and Holly was like, "What?" Uh, but that's how huge he was. Um, he was great. Uh, I started thinking about what was my favorite, I guess, Chiefs game that John Madden called with Pat Summerall, and it's it's week two of 1994 with the f- world-beating 49ers coming into Arrowhead and Derek Thomas just going off. Um, and lastly, just the idea of, like, it just reminds me of what I wrote, I think, last season of just about my own relationship with my father and how we loved football together and one way to... Um, experience that love and just to, you know, just cherish that father son time was playing a video game um, and creating plays and creating players and trading for players and like doing doing franchise most and caring way too much about it. Like, like way too like, do I care more about eighth grade 
social studies or do I care about my whatever year I am in the franchise mode and who franchise, we need to get easily and who we need to get in the draft. It's it's yes. franchise mode, okay? Yes. Um and then it was really cool that we got a chance to ask Patrick Mahomes about it and he was like, "Yeah, my dad picked Randy Moss and the Vikings and he made me cry." And I'm like, <laughs> "Yep." <laughs> Makes total sense. Makes complete sense. So those are my those are my immediate memories, but um that documentary was was really really well done. And I'm glad I got to see it since I missed it on Christmas Day. Seth, what about you? I think the biggest thing for me would be, um, and I've seen a few articles written about this, that people have done a great job. I I really appreciate the way that Madden as a broadcaster, which obviously, you know, that was starting to fade out as I was starting to become more aware of football, but also with his influence on Madden, how much he really seemed passionate about teaching people a little bit more about what's going on yeah. on the field and the way he did it. And he wasn't, there are a lot of guys that know a lot about football, but they really can't explain it to people who haven't mm-hmm. been playing football their whole lives or who haven't, you know what I mean? There's just, yeah. there's a lot of language barriers there and a lot of like presumptions that are made there in terms of base of knowledge. And, and I got to come into this field and learn a ton about it, having not played football. And mm-hmm. I got to learn about a sport that I love in part because of how much love and energy and time was put into making Madden something that could actually teach you X's and O's. Like where people always say, this isn't Madden. It's like, that's true, but mm-hmm. I know where to go against a, a basic cover two zone and where my hot route is if they blitz from it because of Madden. Like yeah. I, I know what some of these assignments are because of Madden. And I've just always been, it's always been my goal. What he did has always been my goal, like trying to what very little I do know, trying to impart it in a way that is super accessible, but still teaches people something I, that that's the goal. And he was I, probably the best ever to do it. And yeah. I think that's really cool. Um, it's a really cool legacy to have to make a sport that I really think is a beautiful sport more accessible to people to really understand how much more is going on there than giant dudes hitting each other. And and not just in a way that was understandable, but also in a way that was infectiously fun. Yeah. The dude carved open a turducken with his bare <laughs> hand in a booth. Like you, I, I just, I, as as I continue to, I, I don't know, meet more people and maybe be more introspective about a lot of media things. I'm just about out of time for people who take themselves as seriously as you could possibly take yourself. Mm-hmm. It's just no fun to me. I don't like that. If it's your vibe, that's fine. But I'm I'm not really interested. And man, John Madden had every right to take himself as seriously as anyone in the history of sports. <laughs> and he decided that his brand was going to be become about having six turkey legs on the bird at Thanksgiving. Like, I just that that part to me is genuinely inspiring. Uh, but beyond that, we're, this we all skew a little bit younger, like you guys have, have said. But as a excellent coach, and then as an iconic commentator, and then as someone who has not only changed football and video games with his association with with Madden, um, his his name is literally synonymous with football yes. around America and the world. You do not say, do you want to go play NFL football video game? <laughs> it's just Madden. 
you can you could say that to someone who does not know his first name and they would know exactly what you're talking about. And that legacy is going to go on for another 50 years after he's been impacting the sport for 50 years. Nate, you mentioned the franchise mode thing. I was thinking about this yesterday. I think that's the reason that I am genuinely interested in the salary cap. Yes. And in the way that teams are constructed. Because I had, uh, I had, I think it was Madden 08 probably, on the PC, and I could there were message boards where people would update the rosters, and you could download oh. the updated rosters and then build from there. Yep. And I did that all the time, and, and it's where one of my weird niche joys in the sport of football came from. And mm-hmm. again, I, I mentioned that the 30 for 30 uh, podcast is called Madden's Game, and like he wasn't going to put his name on it until they had 11 players on both sides of the ball, which was technically very difficult for a very long time. And so th- he, he actually had even more of an impact on that than I would have guessed going into it. It wasn't just a, a licensing deal. Um, but the the two other things that I think are kind of incredible is one, again, his name is is a literal synonym with NFL football, <laughs> at least in video game form, which is ridiculous. But he has the most synonymous name with football ever. The trophy is named Lombardi, and that is not it. It is Madden because of the impact that the video game had beyond his career, like around the world, it's, which is unbelievable. The other thing is there's a clip I hadn't seen. Um, Nick Jacobs from KSHB 41 tweeted it out if, if you want to go look at the clip. Um, it was him talking at Pat Summerall's funeral. And and he's, he mentioned the idea, and I had heard this before, but I'd never heard it from John Madden before, the idea that you can a way of of gauging your impact on the world is is trying to answer the question of how many stories can't be told without your name in it and you know that can be as big or as small as you want or like none of our family's stories can be told without our names but then he was you know looking at Pat Summerall and saying the history of football pro and collegiate can't be told without Pat Summerall the history mm-hmm. of broadcasting of the NFL on television can't be said without Pat Summerall's name you cannot tell the story of NFL coaching, NFL broadcasting, CBS, Fox, ABC, video games, <laughs> all of them, all of video games. You, you, you cannot touch any of those histories without finding the Madden name attached to it. And everyone has a different story because he was all of these things over 50 years. People will learn about him in, again, in 50 more years, because they're eventually going to Google, why is this game called this NFL game called Madden? And there was there was one other little like tidbit uh, from I don't remember where I saw this one from, but but I might have even been in that podcast. But somebody somebody I think had told John Madden, people are going to mistake you as the creator of football because of your your spot on this game and your spot in its history. <laughs> and they're right. I think if you went around America and said, quick, you know, where, because you know, I, I, I don't know where to start, I guess, all the way back at the beginning. We said, quick, who's, who, who, who is the inventor of, of, of football? I think you would get more Madden answers than anything else. And it would be, I'd be hard pressed to find a reason to correct someone in that point because it, it kind of feels that way. So I think yeah. that's everything on my list. Yeah, um, some people have said this already, um, and uh, I just want to repeat it because it kind of uh, doubles your point, Josh, about like how um, how he never took it seriously, but also yeah. he was living in the moment, and that's like yeah, that's what you kind of want from a broadcaster 
from a coach, just from someone that you're that you're living with, right? Is like you you can reflect on the past, but you can live in the moment in such an appropriate way. And this all kind of goes back to and look, I Tom Brady's not paying me, but mm-hmm. when I watched, like, I think I've enjoyed, like I said earlier, uh, a couple episodes ago, I've enjoyed Man in the Arena. Um, because it is a true like storybook, and it's a it's an interesting perspectives from all the different people a, a part of like that dynasty. Um, but in the first episode, of course, it's like the Jubletto saga. Oh my God, they're in the Super Bowl. How did this happen? The Tuck rule. But John Madden is calling that Super Bowl um, with Pat Summerall in New Orleans against the Saints, and. I just love that John Madden was like, I would not do this. <laughs> what are y'all doing? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, play for overtime. Um, and I can't think of how many um, analysts, broadcasters would openly tell Bill Belichick, you out here doing something stupid. Like, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, sir, that is essentially a rookie quarterback with less than two minutes. You ain't going to, why? Play, play for the overtime. Hope your defense. And then... Tom Brady does what Tom Brady does. They matriculate it. And he's like, I think right before Vinatieri goes to make the game winning field goal, he's like, you know, Pat, I was dead wrong. Like, right. Wow. Like, yeah. it's like, you can tell he was living it all the way through to where he's like, this is bad. And now I'm, now I'm comfortable telling the entire world. Yeah. I'm stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That guy. That, oh, that coach over there. He actually know what he doing. Oh, uh, even though I just told you, this is a dumb decision. Uh, and I just love that. And of course, you know, the Patriots win the game and, um, Matt and Summerall do a really good job of summarizing like the impact of what it does, um, and how it sort of negates like what we thought was going to be the dynasty at the time, which was the, the, the Rams. Um, and so he was, he was phenomenal. I've written, you know, I, I've, I'd written about Gordon Bellamy, uh, one of the video game pro- uh, programmers, uh, back in the early 90s mid 90s and the impact yeah, that Madden had on him and all yeah. those I should probably share this story um on the Twitter later on but like there's there's so many things that uh that he impacted but yeah I mean uh just knowing that Hank Stram and I don't I didn't really make this point in my story fellas but Hank Stram was one of the first coaches to be a part of CBS's broadcast rotation on the sole fact that he was the first coach mic'd up in Super Bowl four, mm-hmm. And that's how people saw his personality. So it was a natural extension for him to be, okay, you're retired from coaching. All right, can you be like a an analyst for us? Because I know this sounds weird at the time, kids. We weren't just giving coaches like the ability or former players the ability to like really tell fans what it was to be on television. And then because of the success of Hank Stram the coach he used to go against is now the new guy. And all of a sudden John Madden becomes this huge thing. And then in a weird way, uh, Raider fans don't love this. John Madden was like, don't go to the, don't go to the Cardinals, Andy Reid, go to the chiefs, like, uh, go, go to the chiefs. Cause the, the hunt family actually knows what it's doing. Um, and I don't know about the Cardinals. And so, yeah. uh, he had this long relationship with Andy Reid that I got to write about a little bit, but it's like it all, there's this whole, um, what's the word I'm looking at? There's this whole delineation and kind of discipleship of football between 
Hank Stram and, and John Madden competing against one another and then them going into broadcasting together and then the teacher sort of teaching the next generation of coaches and one of them just happens to be Andy Reid. Yeah. Um, unless you have anything in particular, we can pivot over because I know you've got you, – you may have to, to launch out a little bit before – Nate and I have to wrap up today. I want to make sure we have time to talk about the the running back story you wrote, and also to get to the to Chiefs Bengals. But if you want to get the rest of Nate's story there, um, that's all up on the Athletic right now. Andy Reid. It I, it might have been the a couple of the longest stories I've heard him tell at a podium, um, and that is just to say that he was excited to talk about his relationship with with Madden, and and um, it's worth your time to go read all of that and. And Andy Reid's own words and everything. And that's Nate's piece up on The Athletic right now. Um, on that note there, Seth, anything else on the Madden front? Or are you ready to get into uh, to, <laughs> to which of the Chiefs running backs matter or don't? What a great <laughs> segue. I love that. This, this vibe's going to stay the exact same. It'll be immaculate. So basically, I mean, for on the newsletter, <clears throat> excuse me, goodness. I, um, I basically looked at every rushing down by the Chiefs. Uh, against the Steelers because there's been a lot of conversation about the running backs. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do a couple things. One, I wanted to check to see if what everyone's saying, hey, you know, Gore and Williams, they're better. They have better vision, particularly Gore. What I opened I'm, with I'm is, sorry to interrupt you so early on, but you said everyone is saying it. I'd just like to make clear that <clears> even as the person that hated that draft pick and has talked about running backs a lot, that has not been my opinion. I'm not saying that sure. you think that's been my opinion. And I want everyone to know. It's something that I see a lot of, right? And and I base a lot of what I write about and respond to based on my interactions with Chiefs fans on Twitter in the comments at the Chief North Newsletter, which, by the way, shout out to the comments section at the Chief North Newsletter. There's like 70 comments in this latest article and no one's being mean to anyone. How like, do people become involved in that? That sounds great. I'd love for um, more well, people you can to... Just, all you got to do is oh, subscribe. Man. You can just uh, check out bit.ly slash Seth really hates money. And uh, <laughs> awesome. that's uh, that's what you should do. But okay, it's uh, it, it's been such a it's been such an interesting season with Edwards Allaire, who much like last year, he's had some problems staying healthy. Mm-hmm. And the most popular guy in town is often the backup quarterback. That's not going to be the case in Kansas City. But... We tend to, when we have players with limited sample size, we tend to view them as projections. And then players that we've seen a little more of, we view as finished products, right? And so if if Gore and Clyde perform even remotely similarly, there's going to be certain projections made about Gore, which is fair, especially considering all the background where Clyde was drafted, all that stuff. So I was just kind of curious because you see people saying, well, Gore's got better vision, better burst to the hole. He's making something out of runs where Clyde is not. So what I did is I, I looked at every running play against the Steelers because we had a rare opportunity where all three running backs had at least nine carries against the same opponent, which is rare. Yep. Um, And so I got a chance to kind of see how they do. And basically what I found and what I did was I charted whether the, the run blocking was successful, what kind of run it was, and I didn't really get too in-depth with steam. It was or with scheme. It was basically – Horizontal or vertical. That's all I want to know. You going straight ahead or you run into the sideline? Because I've kind of got a running theory about that that I wanted to check out. Um, And then whether the run was a success or a failure. Here's what I would say. With the three running backs, the only one who took a... And I didn't do the very last drive. I should note that because by then the game was over. It was basically kneel downs. Um, The only player who took run plays without successful blocking 
and turn them into gains of, of four or five yards or more was Clyde. Um, one of them wasn't a four or five yard gain. It was a touchdown. Everyone saw that one. There was another one later on in the game. But really what I found was other than two plays where the run blocking wasn't successful, the run wasn't successful, which is precisely why people always say running backs don't matter. It's more uh, every running back in the NFL is so good. They are generally equally good at taking advantage of what the offense gives them. And so it depends much more on what the offense gives them. That's what that really means. It's not a shot at running backs. It really, in a way, is a compliment to the entire league. Basically a way of saying there's like a hundred really, really good running backs. Derek Gore was was the fourth or fifth guy in training camp. And yeah. we can all acknowledge on the front end here, dude looks like an NFL running back. Yeah, an NFL the most caliber part. running back. Yep. And, that's, and that's a big deal. And I think he yeah. could, I think he, he showed... I think of the three, when you're talking straight ahead, I think he has the most burst and acceleration. And, and he might and he might have been the 150th running back selected out of out of all running backs absolutely. six months ago. Absolutely. They're they're but all I think it's really fun. Good. That's not I every I think your description there is dead on. I and I love stories like like that one. So anyway, I just wanted to emphasize oh, that point. For sure. And it's awesome for him, and he's earned more opportunities. At the same time, Darrell Williams has earned more opportunities as a receiver this year. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's been an excellent receiver. He's really good in pass blocking. And then in the meantime, you have Clyde Edwards Alaire, who once a narrative takes hold about a player, it's really hard to stop. And that's what I kind of want to look at because I have people tell me, oh, he's missing these wide open cutback lanes. And every time someone gives me a snap to look at, I look at it and I'm like, really? Because I fear we often find what we're looking for in in film review and in life. You know, if we're looking for something, we're probably going to find it. And so what I really found is that Edwards Alaire, I still think probably he performs the best out of all three in terms of overall skill set. But it's worth noting that with one particular trait in terms of acceleration and burst, I think Gore might have him beat. Now, he doesn't have the same lateral agility that Edwards Alaire has. And Hilaire has more, Edwards Alaire has more burst than he gets credit for. But that top end speed or lack thereof is noticeable with him. And Gore is not a burner, but he might have just a little more there, right? So basically the long and short of it is the biggest thing that I found is that I don't really see a lot to support this idea that the offense itself is better with Gore or with Williams because of anything they do. It's more they have been the beneficiary of the fact that the Chiefs tend to run the ball north and south. No, north. You know, no one hands the ball off. <laughs> That'd be hilarious, though. He's they, they, going backwards. Wow. <laughs> wow. But doing so very southward. <laughs> um, and the offensive line, the biggest difference that I noticed, and the thing that actually a lot of people are talking about the differences between the three running backs because that's what the people want to talk about. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing for me that I found is that 60% of their plays with runs that went vertical – were blocked successfully. Um, a shade under 40% were successful when they're going horizontally. Which, again, there's a lot more to a blocking scheme. Like, there's an O-line coach listening to this right now that is like, what? Like, um, <laughs> and so I don't want to oversimplify too much, but I'm going to for purposes of, you know, what I think. Um, and that's the biggest difference maker for the Chiefs right now. And that is an indictment on spending a first round pick on a running back because it's demonstrative of the ability to move the needle 
Mm-hmm. Unless they're Jamal Charles, they really can't that much. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing for them right now is whether or not they are really just running straight ahead, whether it's duo, whether it's gap, whatever kind of power they're doing, or whether they're trying to run some kind of stretch or outside zone to the edge. Because Trey Smith and Orlando Brown aren't nearly as good as the latter as they are at the former. Mm. And um, Tooney and Humphrey can do whatever. But it's definitely the biggest thing that I would say watching that is they just got to start using because when Clyde's running vertical, he looks excellent. And I'm curious what would happen if they just had a game plan where that's what they did the whole game. Would people say, oh, Clyde's fixed his vision? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. And so so that that's the takeaway that I got from that. But it's a pretty interesting read, I think. But it is, let me tell you, you talk about niche. And like, <laughs> if you are interested in going so far beyond the box score that you might never come back, <laughs> this would be the article. Because it's like, it, it just is it, that in-depth in terms of like, what is happening and why to the point that like, as I was writing, it's like, I don't know if anyone's going to read this. (laughs) I think it's super interesting, but it's also a, a, you know, maybe a microscopic look at various conversations we've been having for, I mean, years around here. Right. Right. And I, as uh, the resident, you know, running back hater, which I'm not, but I might as well be right. Um, I've literally like, I think that's super interesting. I have no notes. Good, good work, Seth. You've also not, you've not threatened my priors, which is what I really keep an eye out for. Yep. Yeah. Um, but do you do you have a theory as to why they you seem maybe like they're using Clyde differently than the other two guys, even though that's the format that's been a little bit less successful? Like, is there is there a logic to that 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 you can figure out, or are you just like it's a mystery? I don't know. Because I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I I'm not sure if they're being totally honest with themselves about Clyde's skill set. Mm. And and Andy's always run a lot of outside zone. Um. And so you tend to do the things that work. Like Kareem Hunt was great at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Clyde tends to press blocks a little bit farther before cutting back. So he doesn't always cut back quite as quickly or as willingly as like as, as, as Williams. Williams. Yes, yep. yes, exactly. Whereas Williams, to his detriment at times. I got to cut back. Yep. He, he <laughs> takes the handoff and cuts back and it does not matter what the read is. Um, and that's just the truth. Yes. And, and so when it works, everyone's like, well, look at that. He's got better vision. When it doesn't work, everyone's like, what was he doing? It's like, oh, they just, I, I personally think that the, the, I think coaches tend to run what they run and they want to have variety to the running game. And with RPOs, you're going to see more of those horizontal type looks because you don't want you know, linemen going four yards past the line of scrimmage. Although they ran a couple of vertical too. And so I, I, I think it's partly they just, that's what they run and they want to have variety to it. They want to work with the RPOs and it might partly just be really, I think they need to really have a good, honest assessment that Clyde is a good running back. I don't think anyone who watches him can really debate that, but he doesn't have top end speed. To get, not even not top end, I would call his burst and acceleration, not his quickness, and because he has unbelievable quickness. But that ability to turn that extra gear to hit the edge, he doesn't even have like Kareem Hunt's, right? Everyone compared him to Brian Westbrook. He doesn't have Westbrook's, that top end. And I wonder if that's part of it. The other part is it's almost like they're more accepting of that maybe with Williams and with Gore. And it's like, well, we're going to, because that's when it really started, when you started to see a lot more of this gap and power and duo type stuff. It was when Clyde got hurt. Although it started like in the Eagles game when they really started running the ball straight ahead. But it's just been a very slow shift. And and so I, 
I think some of it's just a stubbornness thing, honestly. And that's that's probably why it's so frustrating to me. I'm sure if Reed were in the room, he could give me a great reason why they don't do more of it. But it's what the offensive line is best at, and that is by far the best predictor of success. Um, there are two things. How many guys are in the box and how well the run the, the play is blocked. Those are much more predictive of success than in a running play than anything the running back does. Unless, again, it's Jamal Charles. Or Barry Sanders. Um, yeah, or Barry Sanders. Like someone who, like, yeah. just by existing, you get five yards. Yeah. Um, can I add two points to this? And this is, nope, this is, we're going to actually move on to the – yes, uh, of course, you can it. add two points to that. Yes. Uh, this, this <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say so bad that I'm going to hang out until the end of your thing before I go. Okay. Th- these are the two things that I would add in addition to what Seth has explained. Um, very clear and concise in a John Madden-like way. Um I've always gotten the sense that the Chiefs want to be good at just about everything so that everything is available to them. Mm. So that what I mean by that is, okay, whether you're going to you're going to go horizontal, you're going to go outside zone, you're going to go duo, you're going to go just straight eye formation, just bull ahead. Like, I think Andy wants to be good at all of those things. And maybe this offensive line um, – in comparison to the previous offensive line in the Mahomes era is a little bit better about doing all those things. So in essence, um, now it comes to scouting your opponent. Okay. What do we feel like if we need four yards running the ball? Okay. What are they not the best at in terms of blocking? And then if we have the variety that Seth talked about in the blocking scheme, well, now it's easy. It's it's harder for the opponent to know exactly yep. how we're going to block this up, so that they can't attack us in a particular manner. Um, from either blitz, you know, blitzes to sort of plug gaps in the run game, or for the linemen to understand this is where mm-hmm. I'm. This is where I'm going to go on the snap, regardless of the downer situation, because we know based on tendency, the majority of the time they block it this way, based on this formation, this down and distance, this part of the field, this time on the clock. Those are all those things that. Um, I think Andy is totally comfortable with. What will be fascinating is is that when you get to January, i.e. the playoffs, you do have the the one opponent matchup, and how much of that will sway their decision making on a who the runner is, believe how to block it up, and see how often they do that in taking the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, which analytically isn't efficient. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And then secondly, and this gets to like, you know, if, if we're at 101 to 201 to now let's get to like, you know, the, 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 the highest advanced level, how much of all of this needs to match up with the passing game? And what I mean right. by that is, is the RPO that Seth mentioned earlier. Okay, outside zone. Well, that's what we're going to run on an RPO to get the linebackers to flow a certain way so that we can go right behind them with that slant to Byron Pringle. It opens up in a way that is that is that is helpful and by the way um they call those running plays like those <laughs> those RPO outs that's a run technically in the box score it is a pass but Eric Bieniemy has said it out loud them jet sweeps them RPOs them quick them quick hitters those run plays like they're yep. in the they're in the play sheet as run pass option IE runs <laughs> hey can we get 5 yards here that's where it is on the play calling sheet. Um, and I hope Eric Bieniemy tells that to an NFL owner if he gets the opportunity to do that uh, here sometime soon. And then 
when you do the 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 duo, when you do the power stuff, uh, how much can you mirror that on play action deep shots out of run look formations? And I think the Chiefs are starting to get to that, and I'll be very fascinated to see how it goes from here, because having the variety doesn't set you up for the most explosiveness, the best in you know the best efficiency against a opponent in December. But as you learn all this information, can you use it to where it mirrors and matches up with the opponent? And you know your guys can do it well because you've given them variety to do it all year, and now you can exploit that matchup in a more efficient manner than you would have in the regular season, if that all makes sense. Seth, you want to give us a parting shot on what Nate just said and then anything on Chiefs Bengals before you get out of here? That was was an awesome description by Nate. And it's one of the more frustrating things for fans is that the play isn't always about just the play. Mm -hmm. And correct. Correct. That's, and, and that's, you know, that's one reason why I think football guys, you know, if you, everything's gotta be someone's side, you know what I mean? You know, the football guys, there's the analytics guys. No, it doesn't idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The, the big thing is to understand that really not every play has the only goal of gaining yards. And that's frustrating as a fan. But it does matter how it matches up with the overall scheme of things. And I do think Nate's right. They want to be as varied as possible. And when he mentioned alignment, you really want to force teams to not know what what gaps to align in, whether or not, well, we know that we're going to have just, you know, we know we need a guy at five tech, we need a guy at three tech, and we need a guy to be lined up in these specific gaps because they run the same stuff every time. Because even though they've got a really good run blocking offensive line, that makes it harder. And so I'm curious what it looks like in the playoffs. I think, and I could be wrong here. I could be way out of bounds here. I think the Chiefs had some plans for Edwards Alaire in the playoffs, and then he was hurt. And then the Super Bowl went the way it went. I'm curious what they do. Um, is that going to justify the investment? Probably not. Depending on, you know, depending on what it is, right? Like, it's like, he gained 600 yards in three games. Okay, fine. You know, whatever. Here's your secret <laughs> weapon once a year. But I do think they want to keep their options open. And I think that's a really good way of viewing it. But it does really all circle back to it's mostly about what the line does when it comes to running the ball. Um, By the way, my prediction, I think the Chiefs win. I don't want to say by how much, though, because this game freaks me out a little bit. Can I? We can get a, a rough, a rough margin of confidence. Not very, right? I, I do think the Chiefs win by a full touchdown. I think the line is five and a half or six and a half or something in that neighborhood. So, yeah. and I would just note that that's a big I, gambler, also. Yeah, so that's yeah, good that's me. I understand that the the Bengals are coming off just destroying the Ravens. I totally mm-hmm. get that. The Chiefs' defense and there is much better right now than the Ravens' defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also play very differently. Joe Burrow is a really sharp quarterback. He the the you know blitz till the cows come home is not going to be usually the best thing to do with him. Mm-hmm. Although you know what, Spags pulled it off against Dak Prescott. So what do I know? Um, <laughs> but it's it's also worth noting that in you know in the previous two games they were able to beat the Niners, but it's not like they went scorched earth on them. They put up 15 points on the Broncos. Um, they, they put up 22 points on the Chargers. So it's not as though they've been going scorched earth all year. Now they have a few games and they've got the guys to do it. Yes. Like, you know, they've got a couple of just, they've got, they've got three awesome playmakers and Burrow's a really good quarterback, but I mean, they also, I mean, they also got waxed by Cleveland this year. They got beat by the Jets. This is not a team that has... 
the team that beat the Ravens by that amount next last week, that's not who they've been every week. And this is a very different level of football they're being asked to play at right now, where now it's it's January and playoffs seeding and stuff is on the line. This is new territory for the Bengals, and sometimes that can matter. Happy New Year, Seth. Happy New Year, guys. Love you, sir. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So here's the crowd. Usually, Nate, I like to let you tell me what you think is going to happen first so I can copy your notes and then pretend it's my own work. No, you go. You go, sir. I just Seth touched on so many of the points that I've been thinking about all week that I'll, I'll piggyback on a couple things there. One is the specifics of, of Joe Burrow. I went through the exact same thought of like. He's too good to blitz all the time. Well, Spags will blitz literally anybody sometimes, so that's probably <laughs> not true. Um, so I I do think that, that Burrow is a very interesting test here, and to no one's surprise, I have I have loved T. Higgins from afar, and because of the because of the nearness to uh, to him being a, a member of this football team, Jamar Chase is an alien who's yep. probably going to be an alien for a decade in this terrifying, conference. terrifying. Tyler- Tyler Boyd is pass catcher number three, and he might just occasionally have a 70-yard bomb, and there's very little you can do about it. Plus, they have Joe Mixon, who is you know one, one of the league's most accomplished runners, not just this year, but really in kind of the last, I don't know, how long has he been doing it for? It feels, it feels like, like three, he's... Like three, four, three, four years, I, yeah. I feel like it might be more than that. I feel like he's been doing this for a sneaky long time. I'll, I'll go take a look. See, he, he was out here splitting carries with... With the end of Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, did they overlap? I think they did. Um, but also, him as a pass catcher is really dangerous for anybody. And, and so, everything about that group of of pass catchers and Joe Burrow, who who I like, I would consider myself a believer in in Joe Burrow. I don't know to what extent, but I I like watching him play football quite a bit. And also. I think that the Chiefs' defense throughout this process here has been legitimate. I don't. I don't think that we've been watching a mirage over these last several weeks. I, I, and so I, I think the Bengals are going to score, right? Like I, I don't think this is going to end up being, um, you know, forty-one to fourteen or whatever. But I, even with what I think might be the biggest test for this defense, at least by way of weapons, especially whenever you take Amari Cooper and a half of C.D. Lamb away from the Cowboys. I think this is probably the biggest test that the defense has had in terms of offensive talent. The offensive line, however, is not great. I I just think that this is a very evenly matched football game, but I think I'm leaning 
in favor of the Chiefs on both sides of the ball by a narrow margin defensively and by a little bit of a bigger one offensively. But I just I just hope this game lives up, honestly. Like yeah. I, maybe that's that's not the thing for somebody whose main issue is rooting for the Chiefs to say, but for me as somebody who gets to talk about it as a part of my job, I just hope this game is good because it seems like it should be great. It, it it should be good. And um this is this is everything that this that the Bengals have been working towards all year. And it's hard to sort of remind Chiefs fans that like there are teams designed to come after you. And the Bengals are way ahead of schedule in that sort of aspect of yes. of the landscape in the AFC. And so that makes it super fun. Um I think the player that matters the most on defense is honestly Chris Jones. This is where I will this is where I will concede to Seth and you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think Tyre Matthews great. Tyre Matthew is awesome. Uh, he shores up everything on the back end. But have you seen the interior of that Bengals offensive line? Could not uh, anymore. Because if there's a chance to make Joe Burrow's life miserable, it's with Chris Jones, Tershawn Warden, Jaron Reed, uh, really creating havoc, and then getting to a place where it's third and eleven, and it's okay to blitz. Joe Burrow. I think that's where you kind of have to treat him. It's like he's a second-year player, but he's he's got he, – he, like you said, Josh, he's so smart. He knows where to go with the football. His ball placement has gotten a lot better this year. Mm. And so you want to funnel him into those throws or just, hey, be nice if we got home. Um, mm-hmm. But if you get him to third and 11, blitz the living daylights out of him and see how he reacts early on um, because I don't know if the – as much as we are concerned about the matchup of the skill position players versus the Chiefs secondary, which is really close, um, I get the sense that there's no way in God's green earth these Bengals can cover the Chiefs. If yeah. if Tyreek Hill is, is, is not exhausted, as Patrick Mahomes mentioned on Wednesday, uh, coming back off the COVID list, not having you know the conditioning and the, and the usual workload that he has in practice. Um, the good thing for the Chiefs is that, you know, just about everybody, because of the NFL's... Um, Decision to uh, <laughs> reshape the COVID protocols every mm-hmm. single day this week. <laughs> uh-huh. yep. um, because of that, uh, Travis Kelsey's back. As I reported, Lucas Niang, Nick Bolton, they're all back. So if, you know, and look, and Byron Pringle should have more confidence now after his great performance. So, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes will have plenty of options. I just don't know if the Mingles have the secondary to go toe to toe with them. It's it's why um it's why the Chargers beat the Bengals, honestly. Yeah. Um it's because Justin Herbert had dudes open all day. And yeah. if when given time, and obviously if Mahomes extends the play, that'll help out. Uh, but obviously you go into any game and it's like, hey, uh Patrick Mahomes is number one, and then depending on the matchups or how we feel about how that player is playing. Number two, you can slide in a number of guys, but I think yep. this I think this is a Chris Jones game where Chris Jones can demonstrate uh his ability to wreck a game when you don't have the guards or the center that is above average. And I don't think the Bengals I don't think the Bengals Bengals have built everything really, really well, but they still need to improve the offensive line. Um and I think that's their biggest concern. Um The Chiefs have the have the experience, the pedigree to win this game. And for the Bengals, I'll be fascinated to see how they how they how they handle themselves in the second half. 
Because the first yeah. half, first half is fun. First half is hey, we design these things, we feeling ourselves. The building is hype. Um, but we all know what if the Chiefs do the fifteen game play script the way they've been doing it, and if they have a lead, and if they get the ball to start the second half because they defer usually, and they sort of squeeze the life out of that building. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how the Bengals counteract that. But I, I, I go into this game assuming the Chiefs will win. Um, and however close the Bengals are to the Chiefs is a reflection of how fast they've they've progressed in their rebuild. I agree with 100% of that. I'll start with the pedigree thing first because this isn't a perfect comparison for a number of reasons. The Chiefs aren't quite the Patriots. The Patriots, the, the Bengals aren't quite the Chiefs. And also this isn't an AFC championship game. But you you can pick any number of times where you've seen the Chiefs back when they were still in the AFC championship game. By that point, maybe they'd already proven too much. You need to go back to a, a, an earlier matchup somewhere. Mm. But, but the idea of the young team taking on the team with some pedigree is something we saw the Chiefs do over these last, I mean, you have to go back at least two years. it got to be pre-Super Bowl win for sure. And again, maybe even before that first AFC Championship game when they really proven it. I, I love a matchup like that. It's just funny for the Chiefs to be on the other side of one here now. And on, on specifically on the defensive side, I, I, I think that we all on this show have given an appropriate amount of love to Legarius Sneed and Charvarius Ward, and then even, you know, Rashad Fenton and Mike yeah. Hughes and even DeAndre Baker. Like, all those guys have made some good plays this year. Uh, Hughes, you know, had the one game where he just had the game-breaker for 60 minutes, apparently. But I, I think pretty highly of those guys. And I also do not think that the Chiefs would fare very well asking them all to cover all those weapons we just mentioned. Even like Willie Gay trying to keep up with Joe Mixon out of the backfield. Willie Gay might be one of very few running, very few linebackers in this league that they can actually do that. Um, for for my view, though, on what the Chiefs defense can do, it's exactly what you said, Nate. It's can Chris Jones wreck up the middle and and put everybody else in a big put put Joe Burrow into a rush and see if he makes some mistakes or at least has to hurry those throws, which will give all the the corners a better chance to stick on some of these super yes. talented route runners. Yeah, it, it, it's hey, we figured out the game plan, guys. <laughs> right, <laughs> like it's 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 very true. Uh, Lejarius Need will be really important in this game. Uh, mm-hmm. He's also, you know, he should be a little bit um, more ready to go because obviously of his circumstance and uh, last week being his his first game back um, playing with his teammates. Uh, yeah, I I I get the sense that uh, Zach Taylor should go for it on fourth down. Yep. Don't be afraid if you're the Bengals. Yep. And uh, outside of Trey Hendrickson, uh, the offensive line should do pretty well. Uh, when Patrick Mahomes is, is passing the football, so we'll see. Um, but as I texted both you guys, the Chiefs did nothing creatively against the Steelers, mm-hmm. which was, um, in my opinion, a damning declaration of the Steelers right now as a team. Absolutely disrespectful for the for Andy Reid and that offense to go. We're, we're just gonna we're just we're gonna, gonna use the we're just gonna the, use the regular offense like like yes the yes. the bare principles of the offense and just line it up and kick your tail uh, without without Tyree Killer Travis Kelsey pretty much yes yes so we're gonna beat your ass with with Byron Pringle I know there it, you go. I know it's Thursday I know you guys have already installed the 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 the, the game plan and now you're trying to teach your players how to execute it at a high level. But Zach Taylor, I'm telling you, 
don't use a single clip of that game last week. Like, because uh-huh. whatever the Chiefs show you on Sunday will be entirely different on offense, is my, is my understanding. It's like, well, we didn't have our normal guys, and we felt like we were better than them, so we just lined up and we're better than them. And now this week, to make sure we have an even greater advantage or to create some margins elsewhere, Tyreek Hill will be running different routes. Mm-hmm. And good luck with that. Mm-hmm. You know, Travis Kelsey got a little wiggle to him. Hope hope you guys can keep up. It's just it'll it'll be fascinating to see that. You know, I was just flabbergasted. I was just like, they really aren't doing anything. Where I'm like, oh, that's a cute player. Oh, that's creative. Or oh, that's a nice little misdirection. Or oh, look at that deep shot. Um, that's completely different than I've seen over the last month, six games, which is usually what coaches use. Like, hey, what are the last month to six weeks that we can sort of build upon our game plan? Because that's usually what they've shown recently that they feel comfortable with, and it's with the personnel groups, uh, depending on who's injured and who's not, or on the COVID list for that matter. So, hey, hey, Bingo, scrap, don't even watch that game. <laughs> like, literally, don't. Not on offense, at least. Don't watch that game. Don't uh, even, don't even make the intern cut that game up. No, like you don't. Just throw don't it away. About it. Hey, yeah. that one snap. The quarterback had eight seconds. Don't even show us that. Don't uh, right. don't even don't even show us that. So watch that play one time and say if Patrick Mahomes has eight, <laughs> eight seconds, seconds, we're bleeped. We're, we're cooked. We're bleeped. Yeah, we're absolutely cooked. Like, yeah, don't hey, hey, pass rush, don't ever let this happen, or else bad things will happen to us. <laughs> right. Good? All right, let's go get lunch. Right, all right. Hey, hey coach, do you think hey secondary coach, do you think we should have the guys do the scramble drill for ten seconds? Because I mean <laughs> they did it for eight on one snap. And it wasn't and it and you know what, coach? They didn't even have to they didn't even have to cover like 40 yards. It was in the red zone. <laughs> yep. yep. Didn't even matter. Yeah. All right, fellas. I, I know this doesn't feel right, <laughs> but just run around for 10 seconds. Just run around. All right. that We're going to do that about four more times, and then we'll put the offense on the field. Okay? Scout we're just going to rush two here. Just so you, I mean, you, you don't get any extra DBs here. We're just going to rush two, though, just so you get a feel for what this might look like on Sunday. You guys ready? All right. Hup. Uh. Uh. It's so it's such it's such a disrespect to the scout team offense where it's like, hey man, we need you to be Tyree Kill this week. We need you to run as fast and as hard as possible, but not just on this one snap, every snap during practice on the scout team. And then when it gets to the game, you're like, why is the cornerback heaving? Because no one can run this fast on scout yep. team. Yep. Um, I, I, I've given several, uh, predictions already this week. I'll give several more. They'll all change. One thing I have thought of is I, I can't think that the Bengals are going to settle for too many field goals. So I've, I've tried to have them just be divided by number of touchdowns. So I, I think I've, I'm, I'm somewhere in kind of the like 28 to 21 or 27 to 21 kind of range where I, I feel like I, I don't know. I want this game to be close, but I also do believe that Chris Jones might just be an absolute Hulk in the middle this this week. Uh, but I, I I do think that the Chiefs are the better team here. I do think as much as I have talked up and loved the Bengals offense and the quarterback and the weapons and all of that, I do think there is something to the fact that they were playing up against the scout team against the Ravens just because they are out of defensive backs. Yep. Um, and so I don't think it'll look quite that explosive this week, but I, I do think it'll, it should still be fun and, and hopefully relatively close. Yeah, so you know, let's um, let's see if this is you know if we can we say the Chargers game was like technically the first playoff game of the season, and this is like playoff game playoff preseason playoff game number two. Yeah, 
Eh, yeah, that feels right to me. Let, yeah. Let's let's do that. So let's let's see, let's see. Uh, and it's and it's and it's instructional too that this is that these games are on the road that they're not at home mm-hmm. uh, because if you if you pass these tests, then you know at least the AFC Championship with your destiny uh, can be can be back in Arrowhead Stadium, which again is just if. Let's. We probably should have mentioned this earlier, Josh. But if yeah. the if the Tennessee Titans lose to the Miami Dolphins, which is completely mm-hmm. possible, totally within the realm of NFL twenty twenty one possibility. I guess twenty twenty two at that point. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Because the Dolphins have a pretty good defense, and at least Tua isn't turning the ball over. He's doing his mm-hmm. best Teddy Bridgewater uh, impression at the height of Teddy Bridgewater's career. Whew. Uh, but it's it's. I don't. That feels the, like an insult, but you're also right. These it are the fa- be a compliment. These are the facts. Um, Just the facts. Yeah. So if the Titans lose, if the Dolphins win, and the Chiefs win, um, Week 18 will be back to Week 17 of previous Patrick Mahomes eras, which is yep. just again wild when you consider that at Halloween they were three and four. Yep. Whew. Yep. At Halloween they were three and four. The day after Christmas, they won the AFC West, and by the first week of 2022, they could be locked into the one seed. <laughs> just, just wild. That's incredible. Incredible. Uh, so again, if you want to uh, to go read Seth's full piece on those running backs, you can do that at mnchiefsfan.substack.com, uh, and we'll we'll be back. I, I would imagine on Monday to talk about this game. Whatever we'll see. Over the weekend, and of course, you can read Nate's piece on John Madden and Andy Reid's relationship with him up on the Athletic right now. Um, my last word here is that I'm actually going to read a tweet that I just saw during the end of the show here from Cousin Sal on Twitter. He tweeted, "John Madden is the reason that every 13 year old boy is better than time, better at time management yes. than Mike McCarthy." <laughs> And that's it. It's every every 13-year-old who ever touched a John Madden football game from when it was called John Madden football to Madden 2020, whatever one we're on. Right. All better uh, at time management than Mike McCarthy because of because of that game. Coach. Which is, which is co- pretty fun. Coach, just call the timeout now. Like, not late. <laughs> why are you saving it? Like, again, Mike McCarthy in a two-minute drill before halftime against the Chiefs was like, we don't need him. We don't need him. Hurry it up. Dad, throw it up for grabs. Oh, it's an interception in the end zone. And I went into the locker room with one, two, three timeouts where we could have we stopped the game, found our best play call on the call sheet, related to the fellas. The fellas could have got a breather, could have got some energy back, and could have went out there and executed. But nope, we just, you know, they pay us to carry these things into the locker room. No, they don't. They don't pay us to carry these. They don't. They don't give us extra points for for not using the time. Well, so, oh, okay. Oh yes. Hey, hey. Uh, so good. Hey, 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 Coach. Um, look, I've played Madden about forty four times this season, and in every scenario, you take the, you take the time out here. <laughs> we all know that it's unbelievable. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I probably could let that be the end of the show. But if you've got anything else, get us out no. of here. Send this into twenty twenty two times our style. We'll talk to you guys. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys next year. Am I right? You guys get it? We'll talk to you Woo-hoo! next year. Because <laughs> it'll be a new year. Happy New Year's. Um, look, if we're going to talk about clock management, you know what it takes to get over, to get your you-know-what in the end zone, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you want to, I want to, I want everybody to see the ball drop, okay? If you got to yeah. take a nap, take a nap. If you need extra yeah. rest, Take care of your bodies this week, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? 
you know, we got a big we got a big event coming up. We know it's hey. on the calendar every year. Hydrate before, during, and, and after. after. There's yes. not a time to not yes. hydrate. Get your bananas in. Get your orange slices. Okay? All right? We know the opponent. We know they're serious. We <laughs> the un- opponent is you. <laughs> we understand that we got to take care of this. Okay? We, we No distractions this week. All right? Like, get to 1201. All right? Have a salad. Now. It's not about the X's and O's. It's about that number this week, okay? Not even the W's or the L's. I, I, the only way we get the W this week is if we get to 1201 and our eyes are open, okay? <laughs> so everybody understand the assignment. Everybody understands that Hard Knocks cameras are filming me as I give this speech, okay? Everybody lock in, all right? We got to be serious about this. All right, break it down. New Year's on three. One, two, three. New Year's! New Year's!